Good morning, everybody. Good to see you. Glad that you're here. If you happen to have some kids that are in grades one through five, they can be dismissed uh, to junior church. And for the rest of you, uh, there should be an insert uh, in your program. Hopefully you got one of those as you came in. If not, you can grab one near the back doors and uh, follow along with me as we get into the time uh, for the talk today. Um, as has already been mentioned, many of you know that we are uh, in a, our spring business meeting. We have two business meetings a year. Uh, this is our spring business meeting where we approve the budget, where we vote for officers. And this uh, spring, we also have some, uh, some minor constitutional changes that we're seeking approval for. And so at this time, I think it's always kind of in the rhythm of our year, a good time for us as a body to kind of review who we are and where we're headed. And one of the ways in which this happens uh, it was mentioned at the business meeting, and many of you know, uh, I serve as what's known here at Calvary as a vocational elder. Vocational meaning that's my, my job. I, I have a vocational ministry call on my life, and elder as an, a shepherd, an overseer uh, here in, in this body. And so I'm the one vocational elder after John Shin's retirement. I'm now the one vocational elder that exists and serves together with uh, soon-to-be eight other men, uh, and we serve as a plurality of elders. And in that plurality, one of the things that's very important to us is the overall direction. That's really where, when you, th- when you read and you study and you figure out what it is that elders do, it is that they provide that spiritual leadership and oversight for the body. And, and so we are not in the detail of every, uh, every the, the minutiae of every detail of, of each and everything that's going on, but in a, in a, in a very um, general way, but also very, very important way, we provide that oversight for the whole of the ministry. And one way in which we do that is through something called a vision frame. And that vision frame is, is basically serves as our, it's kind of our rule. It's kind of the thing which, which governs us as we attempt to servant lead the body under the leadership of our ultimate chief shepherd, uh, Jesus Christ. And that, that vision frame is made up of several elements. Um, and I just wanted to share these with you. Not, I'm not going to talk about each one of them. In fact, I'm only going to talk really about one of them. Uh, but I wanted to share with you so you at least knew what they were. And, and uh, certainly these are, these are available and, and accessible to the entire body at any time. So we have uh, the first and most important thing is our mission. And our mission is not something that we come up with. But instead, it's a brief but pointed description of our calling from God. It's what we have from him, not something that we come up with. Oh, we get together, we're a bunch of uh, Christian guys, and we're, we're, we lead this church thing, and so we've decided this is what we're going to do, right? This is what we're going to be about. No, our calling comes from God, and it comes from what he get, reveals to us about himself through the incarnation of Jesus, and also through the gift of his revealed word. And so it is that which is, acts as an umbrella for our church to give them uh, uh, the body, uh, uh, the overall direction. How are we stepping out with authority to represent our King Jesus in, in our world as agents and ambassadors? How do we accept the responsibility of the King's business? What part are we playing in the grand eschatological vision of God redeeming humanity to himself? But it comes from him we receive that again through Jesus and through, through the revealed word. And we're going to get into that uh, in, in more detail in just a minute. minute. The purpose, if you will, is kind of like, okay, if, that's, if, if, if our, our mission comes from God, then what is it that we do? What's our, what's our purpose in having this thing known as Calvary Baptist Church? Is the purpose just to say, hey, 
uh, there's a place at 43065 Joy Road where every Sunday and sometimes, most times Wednesdays and sometimes this day, you can come and hang out and get some spiritual direction for your life. Is that, is that the, pur- the, the purpose of this ministry? Well, it's, it's something more than that. It's about cultivating an environment and providing opportunities where people can live in to that mission and that we're going to get to in just a second. It's not foreign to you either as you see it on the, on the notes on a weekly basis. We also are governed by beliefs, right? We have a set of beliefs. For us as a church, we have what's known as a statement of faith. A statement of faith are, in a sense, those theological non, are, uh, non-negotiables for us. They're the essentials. We believe the Bible to be the Word of God. We believe Jesus to be the only way to the Father. We believe in the fact that Jesus is coming again. We believe that God is triune. We believe that God created. You know, it are, it, it, and it's more statements than just that, but it's, it's statements about God, about his person, about his character, about the word, about Jesus, about the second coming. So all of those things are beliefs that we have to, that govern us, that, that in a sense provide boundary for us, but also empower us. So we have a certain set of beliefs. In other words, we're, those, we would not, in, in achieving our mission, we would never live outside of our beliefs to somehow try to achieve our mission because our mission comes from God. So we're going to be governed by those things that we understand from his word and his way. We also have values. Values are, it's kind of like if in a way, some, uh, some organizations or churches call them core values. Some of them call them, some call them cultural values. In a sense, it's kind of like a church's personality. It's their vibe, so to speak. It's the things that are important to them. The things that either describe them or uh, there are sometimes that values are actual and sometimes values are aspirational. And sometimes as elders, it's our, it's our calling from God to say, you know what, we may not be this yet, but we believe God is calling us toward that. And so we have five values that we really feel are important. And for some of them, we're probably doing super well. For others, we have, maybe it's a growth area for us. But those, those values for us are we are real, we are caring, we are courageous, we are purposeful, and we are united. We are real, caring, courageous, purposeful, and united. Now, are we the most courageous church in the world? No. But maybe that's one of those things where maybe God's calling us to step out in courage a little bit more. Maybe we've become too risk averse on some things. And maybe instead, in living out that calling, God wants us to kind of embrace an attitude of boldness and courage in the spirit of people like Joshua versus taking the safe approach, right? As it relates to, again, the building of the kingdom. We want to be real. We, want, we don't want to be fake. We don't want to play games. We're not here about playing church or spiritual, you know, a spiritual facade. We want to get real with God. We want to get real with the world. We want to get real with each other. We don't want to be fake. And so some people would say genuine or authentic. We want to be purposeful. We don't want, again, do things that are just kind of willy-nilly. It sounds like a good idea. Hey, this sounds like, uh, this, this sounds good. We got some money. Let's do it. Let's build it. Let's run it. Let's whatever. We want to be purposeful in what we do. Again, all this, if you will, if you begin with the mission, everything else is pushing up toward the mission. It serves the mission, right? The beliefs should be consistent with the mission. The values should serve the mission. And we want to be united. We're not about each, uh, you know, the hundreds of people who call Calvary their, their home church. We don't want to have individual agendas, but we want to collectively unite around the, the, the mission that God has given us so that we can pull together to build his kingdom. So that's, that's how values kind of shape us. There also is something called metrics. In other words, what do we measure? Now, you know what churches usually measure, right? 
They measure these, and they measure, I don't have my money clip on me, sorry. They measure the nickels and the noses, right? They measure how many keisters are in the seats and how many dollars are in the plate. Now, there is something more than that, right? There's something even maybe a little bit more important than measuring only those things. I'm not saying that that's a bad metric, but ultimately, do you think that as we stand before our king someday and as a leader in a body, do you think what God is going to say to me is, I am so proud of you that you led the church to have a balanced budget every year for your entire ministry career. That's not going to be the most important thing to him. I'm not arguing for an unbalanced budget. I'm not saying that it's wrong that some of those metrics are helpful and they do teach us something. But when we think about what our mission is, we have to measure against the mission, right? Versus measuring those things that are so, a little bit easier, they're a little bit more tangible. They're the things that either cause us angst, like, oh, we don't have enough money, or cause us joy, like, wow, we got a little bit extra, right? I mean, same way in your own family. That's what happens. Angst when there's not enough, and joy when there's a little bit, too, little bit more than what you thought. Metrics are, so impo- are important, too, and that's really an evolving thing for us to understand what is it that we need uh, to measure. The strategies are the things we decide to do, like you could call them programs, events. So we decide we're going to have this group. We're going to do this event. We're going to have, we've decided that in one of our strategies is to have a morning worship service on Sundays at, on a regular basis, like weekly, right? So the, all of those strategies. But again, notice how far down the line strategies are. You so it's not, it's not the most important thing. The most important thing is not that we maintain a particular strategy. The most important thing is that we live into the mission. And so the strategies, again, serve the mission, not vice versa. We also talk about how important it is for have, to have, us to have a common language. And that's something, again, we really want to live into more and more as the days go by, is we want to learn those words and phrases and, and important things that help shape our community so that as we're talking with each other, as we're talking in our groups, as we're talking with our friends, and even as we're talking with people whom maybe we're inviting to church, that we can have a shared language. And then the last thing is objectives. And objectives are kind of like those short-term things. You, maybe you'd call them like points of emphasis. You know, that happens in sports sometimes. Uh, a, a league decides, you know, we're, we're going to emphasize in the NFL, pass interference. And so this, the first four, four weeks of the NFL season, there's hundreds of, of pass interference penalties. It's kind of like a point of emphasis. Sometimes it's helpful for us to look at our, our, our ministry year and say, in this upcoming year, we have the following objectives for it. So this, I gave you this so that you're well aware of kind of, again, this is something that as elders we do. Again, it's called the vision frame. These are the elements of it. And it helps us to keep on track with what God has called us to do. You see, it's really important for us to remember that the church does have something to do. And that thing that it is called to do is super important. It is critical for the life. It is a, not trying to pull on your heartstrings, just trying to speak truth here. This is a matter of life and death, and not only life and death here, but eternal life and eternal death. And so we ought to take the work and the ministry and the mission of the church super seriously. That doesn't mean we don't, that we take ourselves so seriously, we can't laugh. And, and I, I heard one pastor say sometimes we, how, how we take, you know, kind of like, 
the, uh, the take each other and take ourselves too seriously, but we don't take God and his mission seriously enough. You see, when God gives us a mission, it's not optional. And one, one uh, time as I was preparing for a talk I was going to give to the elders, a presentation to the elders not too long ago, I was doing some searching. And one of my favorite uh, guys from the past is a guy named C.S. Lewis. Many of you have heard of C.S. Lewis. He was born in, uh, right at the end of the, of the 19th century, 1898. He died in 1963. He became a Christian in 1931. Many of you know that it was under the influence of a good friend of his, another pretty famous guy, J.R.R. Tolkien, who was uh, author, of course, of Lord of the Rings and other things, but many of, him, of you know him through that. He became a Christian really through the, their friendship and their dialogue, some other people as well. And it was kind of a process for C.S. Lewis. He became a theist first, and then a couple of years later, he became a Christian. And so he became active in writing and speaking and stuff in the, excuse me, in the 1930s. And, uh, and one of his kind of like landmark works is uh, a book by the name of Mere Christianity. Mere Christianity was released as a book in 1952, but it was based on radio talks that C.S. Lewis did, um, uh, and he had made them on, on, the B- on BBC when he was living in Oxford during the Second World War between 1941 and 1944. So the book Mere Christianity is, is, is the product of those talks that he did there during the Second World War in England. And in that book, I, I found this quote that, uh, from that book. Some of you might have read it. If you haven't, it's worth picking up or downloading to your device. And in, the, in, the, in Mere Christianity, uh, Lewis says this. It is easy to think that the church has a lot of different objects. In a sense, some of the words maybe are used a little bit differently back in the 50s versus the way we'd use them today. Maybe he would say today a lot of many different purposes or something like that. Education, building, missions, holding services. Just as it is easy to think that the state or government has a lot of different objects. Things like military, political, economic, and whatnot. But in a way, things are much simpler than that, Lewis says. He says the state exists simply to promote and to protect the ordinary happiness of human beings in this life. Things like a husband and a wife chatting over a fire. A couple of friends having a game of darts in a pub. A man reading a book in his own room or digging in his own garden. That is what the state is for. And unless they are helping to increase and prolong and protect such moments, all the laws, all the parliaments, armies, courts, police, economics, etc., are simply a waste of time if they're not facilitating that way of life for the citizens. Then he goes on to say, in the same way, the church exists for nothing else but to draw men, of course today he would probably say people, <laughs> no slight to women of course, exists for nothing else but to draw people into Christ, to make them little Christ. If they are not doing that, all the cathedrals, clergy, pastors that is, cathedrals, clergy, missions, sermons, even the Bible itself are simply a waste of time. God became man for no other purpose than to draw men to himself and to turn them into little Christ. That's how important it is. That's the only reason we exist. 
Not to build a building, not to have a service, not to send missionaries, not to take an offering, not to have these programs, not to have a place where one hour a week you wear different clothes than you do at any other time during the week. I know that's not as common today as it was 20, 30, 40 years ago or in certain churches since we're here at this church, we're definitely more on the come as you are kind of vibe. But the, but the idea is not to just give you a special place to go for an hour or two on a weekly basis. You see what Lewis says, if they are not doing that, all that other stuff, it's a waste of time. And what they've got to be doing is drawing men into Christ and to make them little Christ. And so for us as a body, we have, we have verbalized that by saying that very same thing. Not because Lewis said it. He just happens to be consistent with what we believe the scripture teaches. And that is, we, our mission is to help people follow Jesus together. We believe then as a church, we don't exist as simply a religious organization. There is a sense in which we are that, right, in the the state. We're an organization, we're a business, so to speak. And we exist for religious purposes in the state's eyes. But that's not our identity. Our identity is we are a family of people who are on mission together to achieve that very thing that God has given us is, as marching orders. And so I want to remind you of exactly what that is today as we move throughout the rest of our talk. Look, if you would, <clears throat> in your notes at that first verse that's listed there. First verse is a letter that Paul wrote to Timothy. It's his first letter to Timothy. Timothy was his protege. Paul was the experienced pastor. Timothy is the less experienced, kind of uh, more novice, younger guy. And in this letter, he said, this letter, Timothy, will let you know how we should conduct ourselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. God's household. That word in the original language in Greek is the word oikos. It means an inhabited house, uh, a physical dwelling, meaning uh, thing, it could mean uh, something like a palace or some building uh, that's used for business purposes. Or it also says there, as you can see, a dwelling place. It was even used to describe the human body as a, as a, as a dwelling place that could possibly, uh, in fact, have demons living within it. That was the word that was used when, when someone was thought to be in, inhabited by demons. It also came, uh, came to be known as a, uh, it could refer to tents or huts. And in the animal kingdom, it could refer to nests or stalls or lairs. Uh, it also then, as you can see, not only refers to a physical place, but it also is the inhabitants of a house. All the persons that are forming one family, that is a household. In the New Testament, it refers to the family of God, to the Christian church. Again, look at that. Look at your notes there in that verse from, from, uh, in the letter from Paul to Timothy. This is God's household, which is the church of the living God. We are part of the household of God. We are part of the family of God. It is the place, and this word has this nuance, oikos, oikos has this nuance to it. It is the place where one has fixed his residence, where one has settled down and made it his or her abode. Sometimes you may have used this phrase or heard somebody say it to you. This is home. And that's the, the nuance of the word oikos as it's used to describe the household of God. This is our home in Christ Jesus. 
Yes, we have individual places that we go. We'll go out of here and we'll go to hundreds of, uh, of homes that are, that, and we don't necessarily share that, but this is a place where we commonly dwell. This is a place where we have fixed our residence. We are a family. But we don't, we aren't just a family. That's not the only reason that we exist. We're a family that's on mission. Now, again, we, we've suggested our mission is we are to help people follow Jesus together. How do we come to that mission statement? How do we come to that brief, pithy, remembering thing? We want you to be able to remember. Help people follow Jesus together. Follow Jesus together. Follow Jesus together. We want to be, that to be so burned into every person in our body that it's, it's so real, it's so normative, it's so, it's so compelling for us that that is, again, the very reason why we exist. Well, that's, again, not something that we come up with. It's something that God gives us. Look at that second uh, set of verses there from Matthew chapter 28. After Jesus had been killed, after he had been resurrected, he had spent time with his followers after in his, in his resurrected body. He then, in Matthew 28, near the, right near, uh, near the end of the time he would be on earth before he would ascend back to the Father, Matthew records that Jesus is doing this. He came near and he said to them, that is his followers, his disciples, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. This was Jesus saying to his followers, this is what you are to do. I'm leaving. I'm going back to the Father. He had promised them the gift of the Holy Spirit. They probably didn't understand all that would happen from the inspiration of Scripture that would happen later. They wouldn't have probably had that, had that awareness at that point in the life of the church. But they knew that he had, he had promised the Holy Spirit to empower them. And now he was giving them their marching orders when he said to them, Go and make disciples. That word, make disciples, is the, is the Greek word mathetuo. It means to be, to be a disciple of another or to make someone a disciple. It's used intransitively in, the, in that form, and, and that's the secondary way in which it's used here, to, that Jesus is calling them not to be someone else's disciple, but instead to go and make disciples. The root word of that is the word mathetes. Now, mathetes, by its technical definition, is a pupil. It's a learner. It's a student of another. That is a disciple of someone. But in the New Testament, a disciple is one who doesn't just learn, doesn't just gather information, but check it out. But they accept it and they adhere to the instruction given to them, making it their personal, everyday way of living. Do you see what Jesus said there? What does he tell them to do? Teach them to what? Teach them everything I've taught you? Is that what he said? Everything I've taught you, you teach them. Everything you know, they need to know. What does he tell them? Teach them to observe everything I have commanded you. You see, the essence of a rabbi-disciple relationship in Judaism was that that disciple was one who literally walked in the footsteps of his rabbi. The closer that he could become to look like his rabbi, then the more successful of a disciple that he was. He was an adherent he was subject to, he was submissive to, he was someone who was taking that instruction and not just saying, oh, that's a cool little nugget. I'll have to share that with somebody else sometime. I know a little bit more about Yahweh today than I did yesterday. 
No, it was about life change. It was about seeing them become like him, become like Jesus. What did, what did Lewis say? Draw men into Christ and make them little Christ. What happened in the early church? At a particular place known as Antioch, people became, began calling the people who were followers of Jesus. They had never been called this before. They were people of the way. They were followers of this rabbi. All of a sudden, people started calling them little Christ. They started calling them Christians because they were just like Jesus. That's exactly what Jesus told him to do. That's the great part about it. It's perfect. It's the perfect embodiment of what Jesus said to them when he said to them, go and make disciples. You see, there wasn't confusion among them because he had said to them when he was still alive, listen, a disciple is not above his teacher, but check this out. But everyone who is fully trained will be what? Like his teacher. What did Lewis say? Little Christ. What have we said? Helping people follow Jesus together. And the ultimate goal is that we would become like Jesus. There's another time that Jesus said something really similar to this, and he gave his his disciples an example. It was when he washed their feet at what we often refer to as the Last Supper, the Passover Seder that Jesus shared with his followers the night that he would be betrayed and it would launch into motion his eventual death by crucifixion. He washed their feet and he said to them after washing their feet, I have done this, and some of you know this, to set an example for you. That's what he was doing with his entire ministry. I have done this as an example to you, so what I have done to you, now you go and do to others. And that, in a a sense, is exactly what he said in Matthew 28. What I've done with you, taught you to observe everything I've commanded. Now you go and teach others to observe what I've commanded you. Help them follow me and do it together. Not in isolation, but do it together. Now, if that's the reality, if we are, if the calling from God on the family uh, to be a family on mission is that we would become like Jesus, it might be good to know, well, what's that look like? Now, there's probably lots of different ways that you could kind of package this. And we've chosen the way of just trying to keep it as simple as possible. And I would suggest to you that Jesus lived out a three-dimensional discipleship, and that's exactly what he's taught his followers. The first dimension was the up dimension. The up dimension. Jesus said, the Father and I are how many? One. They were in perfect, intimate relationship. He said, I came to do his will. I came to speak his words. I came to carry out his agenda. And one of his last prayers on earth was what? Not your will, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus came because he had us, uh, came and, and existed on earth as one who was absolutely, completely connected to his father. From Luke chapter 5, we know that Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed, some translations have it. Other translations, that, that word, uh, eremos, means desolate, deserted, solitary, uninhabited. He went to places where he could focus on his father. The first dimension for any disciple is that we would be reconnected with our father. 
If, if we're not first reconnected with our Father, if that dimension has not, has not been realized, if we haven't come back into relationship with our Father through the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ, then the next two dimensions really don't matter. So this is a critical thing for us to understand, the up dimension of living at, in, in harmony with our Father, living in love with our Father. The second dimension is the end dimension. Again, real simple, up, in. The end dimension is, guess what? I'm part of a family. Jesus, when he, he exhibited that uh, on a regular basis, because what was he doing with, the, with his followers? He was constantly spending time with them. In fact, after he had spent one of those times praying all night by himself with his father, when he appointed the 12 to be, the 12 of his uh, uh, disciples to be apostles, those 12, he said, he appointed them to be with him. Just to be with him. They would be together. They would develop love. They would develop intimacy. At one point, Jesus said, listen, you know, at one point you call me teacher. Now you can call me friend, right? There was a level of intimacy that they had. They shared it with each other. They shared it with him. And all throughout the New Testament, we have the one another's, right? We're called to love one another and care for one another and pray for one another and encourage one another. And sometimes we have to rebuke one another or admonish one another. But the one thing we don't do is live apart from one another. Because we are connected in the family. What, what's that verse say? The God's household, the church of the living God. You are my brothers and sisters. I'm your brother. For all of us who have received the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ, we are united in him. And so we're connected in this in dimension. We need to learn how to live as a family together. So we connect with God, the up dimension, we have the in dimension, but we don't just, again, we don't just live so that we can be in right relationship with our Father and live with each other because guess what? What did Jesus say? Go into all the nations and make disciples. Meaning, you're going to go to people who don't know me yet, and you're going to make them disciples. And you're only going to do that as you live in the out dimension, out to the world. Jesus said about himself, did he demonstrate this? Yes. He said, I came to seek and save that which was lost. John 3.16, of course, says God gave him so that we could have life, right? We wouldn't perish if we would have life if we believe. Jesus said, I didn't come for the people who think they're well, but I came for the people who know they're sick. And then he says about us as his followers, he says, you're salt, you're light, you're ambassadors, you're witnesses. The family exists to reproduce itself by reaching out into the world to see people become like Jesus by first sharing with them what life in Jesus is all about. You see, the up, in, and out dimension creates this reality. And there are churches that ignore one or two, and unfortunately there are probably some churches who ignore, ignore all three dimensions. But what happens when a church doesn't allow all of the dimensions to shape its ministry is it doesn't have that fully formed person, that fully formed disciple. They can't become like Jesus because if they're only living in two of, or one or two of, of the three dimensions, they can't become like him because Jesus lived up with his father. He lived in with his brothers and sisters and he lived out to the world. And so for us, that reality of that un, up and out and living in those dimensions creates this little, you know, this little shield for us. And so that's why you see this all the time. 
You see it because it's a reminder that whenever you see that, we want you to remember that's about us helping people follow Jesus together. What does that mean? Up with the Father, in with each other, out to the world. That's what Calvary is all about. And that's what we as elders want to continue to lead and shepherd and govern toward. That we would be a body of people who don't exist to provide religious services and programs on some sort of fee-based basis. (laughs) But instead, we exist to help people follow Jesus together. And as a, as a body, as a family, we invite, encourage, and challenge every person who believes that God wants them to be a part of this family to live in those three dimensions. And we want all of our ministries, strategies, programming, and resources to be poured into those things that are helping people become like Jesus. This morning, we are also uh, just really uh, glad that there are people, uh, and we have a regular stream of people. I think we have a a really high number of people right now that have expressed interest in membership here at Calvary, and and we're working toward uh, the revision of our membership strategy so that we can provide that this summer. But we also have had some people who have recently went uh, through membership and they uh, uh, d- have decided to become members. They went through the membership class. They've met all the requirements. They've met with the elders. And I, I believe we have 10 people uh, who are, we're going to be welcoming into membership today. And those 10 people, we're going to have their names on, on the screen. And at this time, in fact, I know some of them are here. A few of them, maybe about half of them are here. There are some who aren't here because they're either out of town or some of them are, are serving in, uh, in, a, in ministry today. But there are a few of them that are here. But I'm going to go ahead and throw those names up. And you can see the names. And while I'm putting those names up, if you are here and if your name is on the screen and you are okay with coming up, if you could kind of make your way to the front. Uh, we're going to give an opportunity for people to kind of, as we dismiss the service, to kind of greet you and, uh, and say hi. And if they haven't met you yet, I know that there are some of you here. And I don't know if any of you, I know some of you, to- thanks, Kate, you're awesome to be that trailblazer. I know some of you told our office that you were there. Now, there's, there, now they're coming. Way to be that trailblazer, Kate. Okay. 